Hey everyone, it's Nate. Welcome or welcome back to the Not Church Podcast. I'm so glad you are here. We created this podcast and Facebook group for you to have a place to be honest about where you're at with faith stuff. Sometimes we aren't comfortable having those conversations in churches, so the idea is that we can have them here at Not Church, and our Facebook group is the best way to do that. If you like what you hear, or you are a regular listener, can you please make sure to join our Facebook group, share this podcast, and subscribe so you can stay up to date? Either way, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and it inspires you to consider or reconsider taking your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Let's go. What's up, everyone? This is Nate Felko here, your host of the Not Church Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. Welcome or welcome back to Not Church. If this is your first time, I'm just glad you're listening. If you you listen all the time, thank you so much for being a loyal listener. But if it is your first time and you're like, what did I just stumble into? Why did my friend send this to me? Well, maybe it's because you have bad friends. I'm just kidding. No, uh, this podcast is really a community of people where where we want to talk about life and faith stuff, but we want to talk about it where we can be real and we can be honest. And sometimes, in my experience, people struggle to have some of those conversations in church. And so the idea, the name kind of comes from, well, if you can't have those conversations in church, let's have them here at Not Church. And so that's kind of the idea behind this podcast. Each week we'll talk about something as it relates to life, faith, whatever, so this week I'm really excited because we're talking about another really amazing story. We've been looking through the book of John. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is one of the stories and the accounts of the life of Jesus. And the story we're looking at today really tackles one of the reasons people uh, are over religion. And one of the reasons people, maybe you walked away from faith or God or religion, whatever. And it really centers around this idea like... Think about if you've ever felt like you've been mistreated or because you just disagreed with somebody in religion. This happens all the time, but it also happens in politics that, you know, you you disagree with somebody and you get mistreated. And part of what's interesting is that I've noticed some of these systems that are created and designed to help people. Well, if you don't fit within that system or you don't follow the rules correctly, the you as the person that the system was designed to help, well, the system actually says, nope, you're not worth help. All right, our system, our beliefs, our whatever is more important than you. And I always think that that's super interesting that, that the system that claims to help people, you know, <laughs> if you're outside of it, well, then you're not in. And I, maybe as I say that, you can think of some examples. I talked about this briefly a couple of weeks ago. But it happens all the time in religion. There's always some sacred men, and it's always men, let's be honest, some sacred men who translate a sacred text, and and then that text or their interpretation of that text become the most important thing and more important than people. And this is not something that just happens today. This has been happening throughout history. And the reason I set us up with that is that, you know, again, maybe this is why you love church is that, you know, somebody said, well, the Bible says you can't be gay. And so your brother's gay. So we don't love you anymore. So you and your whole family, you're not welcome in our church or 
the Bible says you can't get divorced. You guys got divorced, so get out of our church. We don't love you anymore. And I'm saying that as strangers. Maybe it's your family that did that. Maybe your family says, I don't love you anymore because the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And so you're thinking right now, really, especially if a friend sent you this, if you're that person, you're like, oh, why the freak did this person send me this podcast? Like, this is crap. But if you've ever experienced that where somebody uses faith or religion to hurt you, to hurt people you care about, to hurt a group of people you care about, you're going to love this story. Because here's what is so fascinating to me about Jesus is that you can disagree with who he is, who he said to be. You can think, oh, I don't think Jesus is really a son of God. And that's fine. You disagree with me all you want to on that. But what you're going to love about this story, and especially if you have people in your life that love to throw the Bible says at you, you're going to want to read the story, and you're going to want to hang on to the story. Maybe it'll like just give you a perspective or a new version that maybe you've never heard of, but the biggest reason that you're going to want to hold on to this, if you're a skeptic and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I believe in any of this stuff, is that it's going to give you ammo to use against somebody whenever they try to use faith or religion to hurt you or to hurt people you care about. Because what you're going to notice is Jesus was highly against that. As a matter of fact, Jesus was so against it, he came to do things to just get people riled up and to prove his point that people are the most important thing. The story is so amazing and you're going to love the story. If you're a skeptic and especially because somebody's hurt you using faith, you are going to love this story. Now, previously on Not Church, what we've been talking about is Jesus has been going around. He's been doing these miracles, healing people. Last week, we talked about how he healed uh, this guy's son. He did a long-distance healing, and the guy had faith, even though he didn't see it, and it's crazy, right? So after that story is where our story picks up, and this is found in John chapter 5. If you ever want to fact check me, I highly encourage you to Google it, pull your Bible out from home, blow the dust off of it, and check this out and fact check me. But in John chapter 5, I'm going to start at the very beginning. I'm going to read some verses and then comment on them, and we'll get through this story. But it says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem... Near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five colonnades. I just want to pause here. This is not the point of today. But I just want you to notice John's description that he gives here. And notice the words that he uses. He says, now there is, as in like currently. And he also says, you know, which is surrounded by five colonnades. Like he gives details in the present tense, meaning... He's been there, and when he's writing this, he like he knows what it's like because he's been there. Well, this place doesn't exist anymore because it eventually got destroyed. It's been excavated, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But when it's just an important note that this is one of several examples examples that scholars will point to to so show that these weren't written a hundred, two hundred, three hundred years after the fact of Jesus. No, John wrote this in his lifetime. That's why he's describing it in detail and details that we can kind of confirm. And just interesting point there. Anyway, back to the story. So here at this pool, in verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. This is just a terrible scene 
as you think about it, there's just all kinds of people, you know, sick people, hurting people, dying people, and they're all laying around. Remember the context that this is written in and that this happened in is that there were no, like, real doctors, okay? Doctors didn't know much. Part of the reason, interesting fact, that doctors didn't know much is that doctors weren't allowed to examine a dead body. It's very interesting. They could not do an autopsy. It was against Roman law to examine a dead body. So what doctors would do, this is creepy, is they would try to find bodies that were dying and try to observe as much as possible while the body was dying because as soon as it was dead, it was illegal to examine. And so as a result, doctors didn't know much. They were expensive. And let's be honest, they were scary and creepy, right? (laughs) And so as a result, for a lot of these sicknesses, you had to rely on superstition or God or priests helping something. You had to rely on that. And so the story centers around a superstition that there was this pool in Jerusalem that the the idea was that an angel, the superstition was that an angel would occasionally stir the water and if you were the first one to get in the pool, you would be healed. Right? That's the superstition. Now, interesting this bit the site has been excavated what they found is that there's like an underground river reservoir that feeds into this pool and there's a spring at the bottom that occasionally would have bubbled up and so you know we can explain it that occasionally the spring would bubble it would disturb the water well the people in the first century thought that it was an angel and so they would like rush to get in there so it's at this place though that we see in verse 5 that there's someone who has been there an invalid for 38 years and imagine that imagine 38 years laying by this pool wanting to be better right maybe he had friends or family that would bring him food or take him home but for 38 years he laid there i promise i give you a picture of the scene in your mind this is a place no healthy person would go you'd avoid it like the plague because it was like it was just full of death and sickness and hurting and just sick people i'm sure occasionally city officials would have to come in and remove the dead bodies because i'm sure that people would just drop off people and just be like i hope you get better and just leave them there okay is a sad depressing scene there's no way to read or picture the scene without picturing jesus is probably having to step around and over people to get there and what's interesting we're going to notice in verse 6 is that he notices this guy and he asks about him. That's how he learned about him and his condition. And then we're going to see what I think is a private conversation that has. I don't think Jesus had this out loud. I think he had this private conversation. Okay, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, this man that had been there for 38 years, and learned, so he asked about him, that he had been there for a long time. He goes to him, and I think again, he leans down and whispers. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And it seems like a silly question, because the answer we think is obviously yes. And again, this isn't a point, but just another rabbit trail that I want to point out, and then we'll get back to the story. That this is an important question, and it's an important question you should ask yourself because maybe you're not physically sick, but maybe there's some mental or emotional, maybe physical habit or hang up or thing that you have in your life that you know you need to fix. And the question is, do you want to get well? Like, you know, some of the negative consequences it has in your life. And the question is, do you want that to be better? 
Because I could look at your life and say, do you want it to be better? Like, yeah, of course, but do you really want to put in the work? Because there's some things that you benefit from being sick, maybe attention or pity or something like that. And so the question that you at least owe to yourself to really ask is, do you really want to be better? Because I would say, as somebody created in the image of God, somebody that is worthy and valuable and worthy of love, that you owe it to yourself to to the people around you, to the people who care for you, that if there's something in your life you need to work on, I mean, you should do your best to work on it. I know it's hard and it's easy for me to say, okay, but I, I fall into this too. That there are things in my life that like I would say, yeah, I wish it was better, but really I don't want to do the work to get it better. Okay? And it's a question that I think we need to ask ourselves. Do we really want to get better? And it's getting too deep and too personal for me. So we'll go back to the story. Because it turns out this man definitely wanted to get better. He says, verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, this is awful, but like I just I just picture what it says, and it's not a good scene. The water bubbles, and you have a bunch of blind people. They can't see where they're going. You have a bunch of lame people. You have a bunch of crippled people, hurt people, sick people, just racing to get in. Maybe somebody throws them in. Maybe, maybe they fall in. But you just have a mass of people trying to get in, and it's not a pretty sight. I don't know if some of them like drop to the bottom and drown and sink. I don't know. Like It's just not a pretty scene. And that's what he says he's been doing for 38 years. What Jesus says next, though, is crazy. And you're going to see this because Jesus then says to him, get up, get up. And what he says next is what makes this a special healing or a sign. Because Jesus doesn't say just get up. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now, here's where the tension moment comes in. This is where if there's a soundtrack, it'd be dun, 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 dun. Like the shift would turn because the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Dun, 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 dun. All right, here's why this is a big deal, okay? Because for you right now, you're just like, what? who cares? Why am I listening to what's happening? I don't understand how, what this has to do with my life. But back in that time, and this this is the tension is that back in that time the sabbath was viewed as this day that god commanded that you rest and you worship him okay all right well that's a nice rule you get a day to rest but what had happened over time is that the religious leaders had taken this rule that was good and meant to be a blessing and they had added so many other layers and layers on top of it where so much so that one of the layers was that you couldn't carry anything. And so when Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk, he he's doing this on purpose. We're going to see he is flying in the face of what religious tradition had said. This rule that had been created over time to protect people. It wasn't to protect people. It was for some religious men to exercise their authority and their rights over others. And so Jesus tells him to do something on purpose, knowing that it's going to cause a scene. No, watch what happens. This is so rich. You should read your Bible. It's filled with so much drama. Verse 10. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, ready? Here's what they're going to call him out. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. 
as I just said. That's not entirely true. The law didn't forbid them to, but their tradition, their way they read it, the way that they added to it, right? Their extra rules said that it forbids them, but God never said it. They added something to it. Notice how he responds. I love this. He says, well, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Translation, I'm going to go with the man that healed me. Because notice, Pharisees, I never noticed you come in there and help me, okay? I Actually, as a matter of fact, I've never seen any of you before because you probably are trying to avoid me. There's another religious tradition that was taught is that for somebody like him that was sick, maybe was sick at birth, that the religious system and tradition said that anyone who was sick like that is because either they sinned or their mother sinned. They had it so dramatic that they believed that if your mom, when she was pregnant, went to a pagan temple, that not only did the mom sin, but the child within her sinned as well, and that the child would be punished for the sins of her mother. Right, And so when they look at somebody who has been injured or crippled for 38 years, they would say, it's your fault or it's your mother's fault. Okay. They would put condemn them. This was just the accepted way that it was, that, that this is how God acted. And so Jesus, though, just breaks through all of that. And this man's like, you know, <laughs> he probably heard that, that it was his fault. And he probably maybe even sat there for 38 years like, what did I ever do? What did my mom ever do for causing this? Why would God do this? And then all of a sudden this man shows up and tells me to pick up my mat and walk. Listen, I got to be honest, for 38 years I heard about how I'm a sinner and how this is my fault, and this man told me to pick up my mat. I don't really care about your religion, okay? I'm going to pick up my mat and walk. I'm sure that that is how he's feeling. Back to our story in verse 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd, and he was not there anymore. Now what happens next? is very weird and interesting but honestly i think it's kind of funny and i'll be honest like when i studied this at first when i read it i was like i didn't get it and so then i did some research and i found a pastor that i like to talk about this and what he said makes sense um but you know i'll be honest like this is just the nate version of reading this because there's a lot of people that, that would disagree with this and and like, there's a lot of commentary which is just smart scholars talking debating this and stuff but i think if you just read it like a human and you just kind of understand human dynamics the way that i read it makes sense and you can take it for what it's worth but i just i think this next conversation is funny because starting in verse 14 it says later jesus found him at the temple and said to him See, you are well again. Maybe, you know, he just bumped into him at the temple. I'm sure the man went to the temple. It's a natural place to go. Like, I should worship God. I'm healed. And he just bumps into Jesus there. Maybe Jesus finds him. But this is the funny part, is that I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to come back and comment on it. Jesus says to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, if you're like me, when you first hear that, you're like, man, what has this man done? Like, Jesus can't catch a break. He gets healed. The Pharisees question him, and now Jesus is just telling him, hey, stop sinning. But I think this man, you know, he's just doing whatever Jesus told him to do. And Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. He probably has his mat on his shoulder. And I just picture Jesus putting his hand on the mat. Jesus would have known he just got questioned and says, hey, now you better stop sinning, you sinner, or something worse may happen to you. Wink, wink. Okay, because think about it. What worse could happen to him? 
He's been crippled for 38 years. Okay. I'm sure that Jesus is just like, you know, stop sinning, okay? Uh, and just just making a joke over the how the Pharisees are so upset. And because, again, this man would have laid on his back for 38 years. And so, you know, maybe it's not that. You can debate that on your own time. But, but I just see this as Jesus just taking time being like, man, it's crazy. These Pharisees aren't even happy that something great happened to you. And then it says that the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. I again just picture the man being like, hey, it was Jesus. It's that guy who had compassion on me. You guys haven't had compassion on me in 38 years, but that guy did. So because that the Pharisees, the leaders, found out that it was Jesus, verse 16 says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Jesus defends himself, though. He says this, and this was such a dig. In verse 17, it says, In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. What he's saying is he's equating himself to God, and he's saying, I'm just being like my father, so like father, like son. And they did not like this. Verse 18 says, For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Now, it's an interesting story, and you're going to be like, again, I don't really understand how this intersects with my life, but let's go back to our intro. Just like back then, today we let religion get in the way of loving people that the religion was created for. Not just religion, but any ideology, any politics. We let these things divide us, and we use them for justification for hurting people, the very people that the system or idea or you know thought process was created to help, we use that to hurt people. Jesus says it this way, specific to religion. He says it this way later on in the conversation, just being very direct to the Pharisees. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life. Translation, you look to the scriptures thinking like that's where all the answers are. But he continues, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Translation of all that, you guys understand that like the whole point of scriptures is pointing to me. I'm standing right here, yet you refuse to look at me. You refuse to look at me. If you want to know what God's like, look at me. To which the Pharisees would have said, are you seriously equating yourself to God saying, if we want to know what God's like, look at you? Oh my, who is this man? And that is the question. Who is this man? Who would be that bold to say, you want to know what God would do? Look at what I do. You want to know what God would say? Look at what I say. You want to know how God feels about people? Look at how I feel about people. Right? That is some bold, and you can disagree with that, and you can push back on that, and I get it. But Jesus' point is that if you want to know what God's like, look at me. To which we may think, who would say that? Who would say that? And that is the question. Indeed, who would say that? Because that's the question asked, that is the wrestling match that you need to have in your life, is who in their right mind would say that? Either somebody that's a liar, a lunatic, or maybe, just maybe, he is telling the truth and he is the Lord. 
Okay, something to think about. But because he said that, that's why as I wrap up, I can say this without blinking. That the reason this was a sign and the reason, even if you disagree with the story, that it impacts your life and you can throw this back on anybody when they're like, and they try to use Jesus or God or religion to hurt you, is that the point that Jesus is making here is that the you beside you, the you in front of you, the you's all around you are more important to God than your point of view. Okay, I'll say that again. That the you's around you all the people around you are more important to God than your point of view, even if your point of view is correct, right? Even if you're right, congrats. But the you that you are using that point of view to hurt is more important to God than your point of view. So here's a question, okay? And maybe this cuts deep. And this is a question that you can use on somebody if they're hurting you. But does your religion or politics allow you to mistreat other people? If it does, maybe you should examine that because it's supposed to be helping people. And I'll get more specific and I'll point the I point out right at my people. Did your version of Christianity allow you to mistreat other people? If so, you have the wrong version. I'll say it again. If your version of Christianity allows you to mistreat other people, you have the wrong version. Because the you next to you is more important than your point of view. Your point of view will change over time. Your point of view has already changed. Think back 10 years ago. There are things that you believe now that you did not believe then, and things you didn't believe then that you now believe. Give it another 10 years. Your point of view is going to change. That's why the you next to you is more important than your point of view. Now, what do you do with this? Like It's hard. And you, okay, well, what do we do with this? Well, here's where Jesus makes it so simple. It's simple but hard because while your point of view may change, here's something that provides extreme clarity in any relational situation. Ask yourself this question. What does love require of me? What does it mean? What does it take for me to love somebody? Because if you ask yourself that question, you will have a terrifyingly painful clear answer because you will always most like pretty much all the time i cannot i have not experienced this circumstance where i have not known the answer to what love requires of me i've had times where i didn't want to do it but when i see somebody and i and i question like you know their point of view my point of view it you know, rubs up against each other we disagree well if i stop and ask myself what does love require of me I have an answer. Sometimes I don't like that answer, but I have an answer. And this is the beauty of Jesus, is that Jesus came to close all these loopholes in religion that allows us to use religion to hurt others. He came to close that up. The original version of Christianity was built on this question of what does love require? I'm going to love those around me with the way that Jesus loved me. I'm going to treat the yous around me as more important than my point of view, even even if it cuts deep into cultural and just social barriers, I'm going to push past that because I know how Jesus loved me and he told me that I need to love others that way. That is what the gospel message is. That is the good news story that Jesus came to share. And so I will say it a third time. If your version of Christianity allows you to mistreat others, you are wrong and you have the wrong version. Don't you dare use the Bible and don't you 
dare use Jesus to substantiate your claims to hurt people and to put others down. Maybe you're right, but Jesus never modeled that and he never did that. So don't you dare do that in his name. Instead, to end on a hopeful note, you see how passionate I get about this, but to end on a hopeful note, when you ask yourself, what does love require? We'll see in a couple of weeks when Jesus set this all up and it is just mind blowing. But when you ask yourself, what does love require? Love requires sometimes that you go to the places like Jesus did. You go to places no one goes and you have compassion. It requires that it's okay to break a traditional rule, okay? It's okay for him to carry his mat. He's just been healed. Have compassion on him, okay? You can think of the parallels in your life. What does love require? Love requires that we care for have compassion and serve those around us and if we imagine just imagine if for one day we all treated each other that way imagine if the people in your life treated you that way imagine here's a big one imagine if the christians in your life actually treated you that way how would that shape your view of God? If you're like, man, those Christians, they I, I don't believe all the stuff they believe. They have some crazy beliefs, but you know what? They just treat me so well. They, they love me. They love me even though I'm different. That, that is the dream that Jesus had. And this is the dream he's invited you to regardless of you, if you believe everything yet. That's okay, right? This is the invitation that we have in front of us because the you beside you, the yous all around you, are more important than your point of view. And God, through Jesus, wanted us to realize that. And that's why a big part of his ministry was to do signs like this story we see in John 5, to point out to the religious leaders, hey, your version of this religion is wrong because your version is allowing you to withhold compassion. So stop it, knock it off, and ask yourself, what does love require of you? So that's my hope for you is that you, you take that and I hope that inspires you to maybe look around your life and, hey, who are some of the people that you can love for and care for better? What does love require of you? Such a great question to ask. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. I love getting to have these conversations with you. I would love if you joined our Facebook group. We'd discuss some of these things. Love to hear feedback, pushback. You can say, Nate, I disagree. Whatever it is you want to say, would love to hear those conversations in the comments in our Facebook group you can see the link of that in our description please if you love this please share it with a friend uh subscribe so you stay up to date and i'd love if you uh, even you know left us a comment give us a rating and share a comment with us about how you enjoyed today's episode as always thank you so much for being here and can't wait to see you again next week peace <laughs>